You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling out to our helping spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to those people who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their time and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. I call out to those people who have created this legacy that we have to draw on. And I ask them to connect with us and help us to build a strong and true relationship with them that we might draw on that legacy and use the wisdom and the teachings and the experience of those who have gone before us to meet the challenges of our own time. So I call out to these ancestral helping spirits and I ask them to be with us here today in a good way to help us to understand how to more deeply move in to becoming the men and women that were born to meet the challenges of our own time. And I call out to those ancestors who do not have human form, reaching out further in the dreaming, out to those beings who have form here on the planet but not human and i call out to these spirits of nature and place and all to be with us here as well for long before there were humans there was life here and i call out to that life to those ancestors to be with us here today to help us to remember those things that are truly important in life and to not be distracted by simple things but to cultivate those things that do go with us when we die So I call out to these ancestors to be with us as well, to gather round, to hold us here today in a good way that we might do what we have gathered to do. And while the spirits are gathering round us, let us gather our own, grasping our consciousness wherever it might be and drawing it into our mind. And with a nice nice breath, let's draw it from our mind to our heart and from our heart to our bellies. And let's draw our awareness down and take a moment to touch the earth. Stop all that we're doing in this day and for just a moment to touch the earth herself and to give thanks for this day. Thanks for the wonder and the challenges, the gifts that are coming to you in this day, for the beauty, for the diversity, for all that is before you in this day. We give thanks to the earth for the abundance that rises to the surface without which we would not be here. We give thanks. And we give thanks for the wonder and the awe that is the miracle of life. And may we live this way in a way that honors that miracle that we each carry. So with deep, deep gratitude to the earth pouring out from our heart as we move down through all the layers of the earth, let each layer be blessed by our gratitude for life as we move our energy down all the way into the center of the earth. And let us take a moment in the center of the earth to connect in with the essence of this energy, the quiet, the stillness, the darkness, that place that is all energy before it becomes something, this place of infinite potential. We connect into this dark, restorative, rejuvenating, replenishing energy, that which rises up to the surface and becomes the abundance we are so grateful for. So let us focus in on this energy and imagine that we dip ourselves into it as we would put our hands into a spring bubbling up to the surface of the earth on a hot day. We reach in to this energy and draw it up, up through all the layers of the earth and up into our bodies and we draw the energy of the earth up into ourselves bringing with it all the wisdom of manifestation so that we can learn how to be here in form in a good way just like all the rest of nature we drop the energy of the earth for this replenishment and restoration and we use this energy to choose to be grounded to ground ourselves in each day that we know where we stand and what we stand for and to do so in a way that we create home we create a sense of hearth in that home and a sense of belonging 
and we use the energy of the earth in a way that we can open up our home to open our table to those who are other than us and invite them in that we might be provoked by that strangeness to become to truly become the men and women we were born to be so we call this earth energy in and we use it to create connection connection within ourself connection with others interconnection with our environment and ultimately connection with that which has no form with the invisible world and let us open using this energy of the earth to find within ourselves that moment of pure connection of oneness with all things and may we take right relationship with ourselves from that oneness right relationship with our environment right relationship with the invisible world and come in to that place and time that we are born in in a way that serves all life so we give great great gratitude to the earth for the endless abundance and restoration and rejuvenation that we receive and may we be inspired to use it in a good way and let's draw this earth energy up from our bellies to our hearts and as it cleanses our heart, let's draw it up to our mind. And as it cleanses our mind, let's draw it up and out through the top of our head. And let us rise up through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you at this time and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos. Rising up through all the heavenly bodies and the great mysteries of our universe to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy and whatever way you conceive it, connect with that energy See yourself in it and it in you and let us begin to draw this energy from the sky realms down. Drawing into ourselves, drawing into our day, drawing into these proceedings, the essence energy of blessing. Drawing in the blessings, drawing in the protection, drawing in devotion and generosity. Drawing in the benevolence of our universe and all the wisdom of the cosmos we draw in this beneficent energy into ourselves into our day and ask for it to illuminate and inspire us we draw this energy down into our head from our head to our heart our heart to our belly and send it all the way down to the center of the earth and let us just take a moment in the pleasure and the honor of being this place where these two great legendary lovers connect the earth and sky coming together in the big love and we ask that energy to awaken the spirit of our heart to its true nature and let the crucible of transformation that lives in the heart open up Draw up the fiery passions of the belly and down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these two energies dance together in the heart and give birth to that third most sacred thing, which is your memory of why you are here. And may you find courage in that very same heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts into the world and to make your soul's purpose manifest in some way. And for all the spirit help that is gathered around us that allows us to do this, I give great, great gratitude. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I also want to thank Hamish and Lynn, Gretchen, Patricia, Leslie, Amanda, Irene, Serafina, Lisa, and all the listeners who have donated to the show since we were last gathered. I give great gratitude to those of you who can donate financially. This show is listener supported. And so if this show moves you in any way, if it inspires you, if it gives you an idea for something, if it irritates you or frustrates you, it means it has moved you in your heart. And I ask you to do that most fundamental of sacred actions, which is to allow what motivates your heart to motivate your actions and allow your heart to move you into action in the world and do something large or small, to help the show to grow. And if you are not able to donate financially, please do something that brings the teachings out into the world, into your journey circles, into your own shamanic practice, share the shows, do all that wonderful linking and connecting that people do in cyberspace, but do something that allows, things, allows the show to be nurtured as it nurtures you. And for those of you that would like to donate and never have, you can go to the show website. You can't donate through iTunes if you're downloading through iTunes. You have to go to the show website, www.whyshamanismnow.com, and go to the support button. You can don't any, donate any amount, large or small. Uh, through your own PayPal account, you can set up monthly payments. But however it is that you want to do it, we are grateful. It all goes to directly to keeping the show on the air. And without you, we would not be doing this. So thank you. 
um, for your efforts that help me continue to do this. Um, for anyone who can access through the internet to these shows, they are free. So I thank you for helping me to offer that. I would also like to give thanks to our guest today, Evelyn Reisdyke. Evelyn, thank you for being with us again. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Christina. I love the prayer uh, that starts your program. Thank you. So Evelyn is joining me here today um, as a third uh, part of this series talking about shamanic practice and what is it? What does it mean to really develop a rich and sound foundation in a shamanic practice? And this was all inspired by someone in my first um, year one retreat who had been in many other trainings and 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 just looked at me and said, "This is so basic, and I don't know any of it." This recognition that we can leap into these rather high practices all around the world, frankly, and yet we leap there unprepared. And so we're talking about how do we perhaps go back and and build a strong foundation underneath our shamanic practice that may already be in motion. And this is also continuing to be a deep response to a show with Sandra Ingerman almost over a year ago now where she challenged everyone to deepen and make richer and much more robust their understanding of their shamanic work. And so um, Evelyn's helping us along the way. And today our focus is in actually crafting and creating your own shamanic tools. And before we get into that, I just want to let you all know who don't already know, you should. (laughs) But if you don't already know, Evelyn is a nationally recognized shamanic teacher, healer, speaker, artist, and author of several books. One did a show on was spirit walking, and we're going to talk tap back to that just for a moment. And then we have shamanic tools, which we're talking about today, which is in some ways, Evelyn, wouldn't you say it's a bit of a companion with spirit walking? I would say so, very much so. And you're cutting in and out a little bit, Christina. I just oh was- no, okay. Hmm. Um, maybe Ken can look into that a little bit. So. Um, I'll continue with your introduction here for a minute while Ken Ken plays with the technology. Um, So Evelyn uh, not only has books, but also regular contributions and articles and columns on shamanism, on living in harmony with the earth, and how ancient healing methods support individuals to feel more whole, confident, connected, and empowered. Evelyn uh, works with – oh, Evelyn is in Maine, by the way, for those of you that don't know that. Uh, She works with individuals, um, workshop groups, conference participants to open people's hearts and inspire them to live more joyfully, fulfilling, and joyful, fulfilling, and purposeful lives. She's in a joint practice with Allie Knowlton um, at Spirit Passages, their training center for advanced experiential shamanism. Evelyn offers a full complement of workshops, presentations, and long-term trainings in advanced shamanism, eco-spirituality, and shamanic healing. Um, I've also spoken of them on shows regularly, actually, because they're founding members of True North, which is an, an, an actually truly integrated medical center in Falmouth, Maine. And it was, it was a truly integrated medical center before that was fashionable. <laughs> so, so they're actually pretty good at what they do at this point because they've been doing it for a long time. And so in, in that work, they collaborate directly with medical and other contemporary health practitioners to bring healing of the spirit, mind, and body to people who arrive at their center from across the United States. Um, she has also contributed uh, to the book Spirit Spirited Medicine that the Society of Shamanic Practitioners published now a year or two ago. But anyway, it's still available at their website, shamansociety.org. Anyway, back to Evelyn. Um, you can connect with her at passages at main.rr, like railroad, rr.com. Um, but you can also just Google her. There's not a whole lot of Evelyn Rysdykes out there. R-Y-S-D-Y-K. I mean, that's kind of the, how I always get to you guys because it's <laughs> there's not a lot. Um, so we are live today. So if you have questions about today's show, please feel free to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you can just email me um, at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, and you're also welcome to email Evelyn. Again, at passages at main 
maine.rr.com. Maine, like the state, M-A-I-N-E dot rr.com. Um, okay. So, Evelyn, any better? Am I still cutting out? No, you sound great now. Okay, excellent. All right. So, when you first joined me, we were talking about Spirit Walking, which is your book from last year. Mm-hmm. And could you just remind people who might not have heard that show, what provoked or inspired you to write Spirit Walker in the first place? Spirit Walking grew out of my observation of tribal shamans. That we've all, those of us who study shamanism, if we're fortunate, we get to meet with tribal shamans that are really um, deep in their practice. They are connected to the environments in which they live very profoundly. And there's a kind of brightness, joyfulness, a kind of sparkle to them that um, is frankly fascinating and alluring. And I wanted to see somehow what the difference was between uh, typical Western practitioners and these individuals that seem to almost sizzle with a kind of spiritual power, but with a tremendously open heart. <clears throat> and what I discovered was it was the way that they were in relationship with the spirits. Not just going on a journey when we need something, but spending time each day being in relationship with the spirits around them. That's why I honor so much the prayer that you begin the show with because it really brings us to that place of gratitude and connection that is the foundation of a deep shamanic practice and wanted to support people to open up that way of being. We're not taught that way of being in Western culture. We're not taught how to be in relationship, even with other human beings, never mind the environment, And so I wanted to guide people in a step-by-step way of how to approach that um, seemingly insurmountable piece that we have as Westerners. How do we step into a full-hearted relationship with the world, whether it be the visible world or the invisible world? How do we approach life in an open-hearted, reciprocal way? Because that really is the nature of being connected as a shamanic practitioner, the source of power, but also to feel strong inside of ourselves, to feel comfortable inside of our bodies, comfortable in the world. And it gives us the ability to be able to be effective in the world. Because quite often, perhaps it's more Americans than anyone We tend to be a I'll do it by myself kind of culture. Mm -hmm. And that really does fly in the face of the traditional way that shamans function in the world. They function with deep roots connecting to all the spirits around them. And they borrow power. It's not that they take it and hold it to themselves like, you know, uh, Scrooge McDuck with his pile of money. Instead, it's more like a kind of fluid give and take. So they they connect themselves as though they have, you know, 150 extension cords plugged into the environment. And they understand that that power is a gift. And so they're always in relationship giving back to the environment because they, they understand that there's a need for reciprocity, that we have to be in that place of being grateful for the connection, grateful for the gift of the power when we're called on to help a a client, to provide information for someone, to do um, good work in the world. And because we're grateful, we naturally want to feed that which nourishes us. I wanted to also say the same thing about your show. If the show nourishes us, then we should be responsible as shamanic practitioners to feed it just in the same way we feed the spirits from that place of being in reverent participatory relationship we feed the spirits because we're constantly being nourished and i think we need to approach the nonprofit organizations and those 
different aspects of our society that do feed us to pay attention to that, to give because you are always receiving. I mean, it's that it is changing our mindset about how we need to be in the world. And in some ways, it it calls us to grow out of our cultural adolescence Mm -hmm. so that if we're not only do we want to drive the car, but we do have to pay for our insurance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's that helping us culturally. I think shamanism is kind of at the forefront of that, not from a a scolding and shaking the finger way, but calling people to recognize their power in the world, recognize their responsibility because responsibility and power dance together. And how do we step into that, into that sacred reciprocity with everything that's around us, which is a heck of a long winded answer to your question, but there you go. Right. But, but it's, it's a constant, constant theme on the show. You know, which is how how do we, as contemporary people, get over ourselves, <laughs> and you know, and learn to really do this? In uh, um, you know, I, as as you're talking, I'm thinking about those amazing pictures of the Siberian shamans uh, doing co- these sort of seasonal rituals, calling in the spirits of the mountains or something. They just went around the internet last week or something, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they were just. They were beautiful, and I'm thinking of that. That's sort of the the visual that I'm getting as you're talking about this is that that um, ability to move into that open-hearted, passionate, intimate place with spirit and and move whatever it is that needs to move. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Okay, so then in your book, in Shamanic Tools, you you've coined the term then spirit walker. Did you did you and Allie have conversations about that, or did you just know from the beginning you were going to do that? I think it's important to begin to think of ourselves not as shamanic practitioners, even as tribal shaman. I mean, it's it's a term that has a lot of assumptions, and really what we do is learn to walk with spirit, more towards spirit, and not just the spirit of the spirits of nature or the spirits of all that is, or however you want to name all that richness that's around us, but also stepping up, walking toward people that are different than we are, Mm -hmm. walking toward species that are different than we are. You know, it really is an action. It's not so much a title, but that we're participating in an action. And so, so then throughout this book, that you've written and probably all that you'll write, you're, this, this, um, why don't you just put in a nutshell then how you would define it, spirit walker? To me, a spirit walker, if you look at the, the classical definition of a shaman, someone who walks between the worlds, they step from an ordinary kind of consciousness to an extraordinary consciousness. I think of it as expanding our ordinary awareness, not so much an altered consciousness, but simply expanding into that space that we already occupy. We tend to limit ourselves to the world of our senses, which is uh, very limiting. And we only see a tiny bit of visible light. You know, our cats can see into the ultraviolet, as do insects. Raptors can see infrared. You know, we just see the rainbow. And the same thing with, with the, what we hear. We hear only this tiny little band of audible sound. Our dogs can hear above it, as do bats. Whales and elephants can hear below it. And yet we consistently define our world by this limited input. And so when we expand ourselves, expanding our consciousness into that larger sense of who we are, we then can easily step into that larger way of being. I, the, the spirit world is only a breath away. It's not that we have to, you know, take this long and arduous journey to the lower world, the middle world, or the upper world. The, the arduousness of the journey is simply us getting ourselves out of the way. <laughs> Stepping up, you know, and then we're there. So it really is that piece of action, that piece of I'm choosing 
to step beyond my limitations. And then we also have to decide, why do we want to do that? Are we stepping beyond our limitations for our, um, for our own health? Are we stepping beyond our limitations because we think we're somehow not good enough or not powerful and we're going to try to do a power grab beyond our, beyond our limits? Or are we looking to really become that fullness in our lives? And in that fullness, connect ourselves more fully and completely and open-heartedly to all that is. So for those of you that would like to listen to the interview that talk, that takes this part of the conversation further, you can go to the archives and listen to the first episode where we're, we're talking about um, Spirit Walking, the book itself. And which website would be best for them to go to to purchase it? Uh, actually, anywhere that they would like to on the Internet. Um, you can purchase it through Amazon. You can go to your local independent bookstore. Uh, there are all kinds of uh, – if you type in Spirit Walking uh, Guide to Shamanic Power, you can find it all over the Internet. And I'm grateful wherever you choose to pick it up, okay. even if it is the library. Good. Excellent. Um, so – Keep that in mind, everyone. And we're going to shift gears a little bit now and and talk about Shamanic Tools, which is this year's book. And um, Shamanic Tools is designed to support people in shamanic practice who are actively journeying and working with spirit. Um, Along uh, with the context for the tools and instructions for their creation, there's a step-by-step process for the practitioner to work with spirit to prepare to engage with, create, and work with the tool itself. So if you are interested in this and you don't know how to journey, you would need to do that first. Which, of course, is yet one other reason to inspire you all to go out and learn how to journey. So anyway, understand for those of you that do know how to journey, though, and are a little bit casting about for what to do with that in your life, here is a great possibility. So um, as Evelyn states in the book, her own experience is that there is an extra dimension of power that opens up when you craft your own tools. And probably for exactly this reason, there are actually many classes for creating drums and rattles, beaded bags, you know, feathers for smudging, beating the feathers and such, or making feather wands. And so they're, they're sort of the standards in terms of a contemporary practitioner's perspective of things. And they are fundamental to a basic shamanic practice. Um, what intrigues me about shamanic tools is that um, – not only do you cover those tools with chapters on making rattles, on various – talking about various styles of drums and making drums, bags, and feather fans, that we, there are um, other shamanic tools covered in the book, the creation of them um, and the use of them that are, are less – commonly known and that's actually what I wanted to venture into today and I'd actually like to begin with the shaman tree (laughs) Um, so could you tell us tell listeners what a shaman tree is the shaman tree tradition comes out of uh, Central Asia you've probably all seen images uh, in Mongolia and Tuva where they have a tree that is decorated with strips of cloth Um, In Tuva, they often use braided ribbons. And it's a concrete place in ordinary reality where you can offer your gratitude. Because we have a feedback loop in the environment with our senses, it's very helpful to have concrete things in the world to help us to, first of all, remind us to be grateful. There's an object that has all these prayers tied to it. And so, oh, right, I have to remember to be grateful. And it also provides us a doorway into the natural world as not only a receptacle for our prayers, but to recognize that the natural world is listening. It also allows us to engage in a physical action with our body so that our our, um, spiritual practice doesn't just become mental exercise. And when we engage in a ritual, like tying a prayer in the form of uh, a piece of cloth or a braided ribbon onto a specially dedicated tree, we are also programming ourselves 
That's the beauty of a, of a heartfelt relationship. If you want to change something in your life, use ritual to help change it because our subconscious is always paying attention to everything that we do and everything that we say. And when we engage in something that is meaningful to us in terms of a ritual, we are reminding ourselves that these spirits are real, that my gratitude matters, that all of this gets strengthened inside of our being. And it's easy to do in, you know, suburbia. We have a tree dedicated to uh, being the shaman tree, the receptacle for our gratitude in our little postage stamp yard in, in, in suburbia here. And, uh, you know, the squirrels like to hang out by it, as do the birds. And it, it's a reminder. We come in and out of the house. It's right there. We place offerings before we go on trips to teach. We place offerings there again when we come back safely. I mean, it becomes a spot in our world that reminds us that there is this connection. And I think that the same thing can be uh, said about our tools. They are concrete examples of our relationship. You know, and we need that, just like they have icons in the in the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. They have these representations of the divine that are actually empowered and hold that vibration. Or uh, a Tibetan Buddhist tanka is the emanation of that spirit, but it's something you can look at and interact with. We need that to continually remind us and, in fact, antidote the limited input we get from our senses. So... so- Oh, go I was going to say, so what is the um, traditional, is there, a, is there a traditional specific function or purpose of the shaman tree, apart from what you've already said? They function in Tuva, which is the, one, the country I have the most uh, familiarity with. These kind of trees are set up in places that hold particular power for people in the landscape. It may be the a source of a spring. It might be at a crossroads. These are places that give us the opportunity to be thankful in that moment for that place. And it's also a place where we can uh, intercede um, or communicate, is perhaps a better word, communicate with the spirits about what is happening in our lives and how we would like to have their assistance. And we not only tie the prayer on the tree saying, oh, please, I want this. We have to engage in actually feeding the spirits of place. Typically, it's milk in Tuva. They would pour milk on the ground, pour milk on on the base of the tree. They might leave food. They might leave gifts. It's, again, this, it's a way for us to interact with that which is typically invisible. You know, I'm not somebody that sees spirit with my eyes open and and at my age, I'd probably have a heart attack if I suddenly opened up that gift. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, to have something tangible that sort of stands in for the spirits of nature, stands in for the spirits of the sky and the earth, that stands in also for the ancestors, because they're all connected in that spiritual internet, you know. We need simply a focal point to enter into all of that richness. So it sounds like the traditional function with 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 tribal people and and the function it would play for contemporary people it is really pretty much the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so you you said that you have one in, um that you work with on your on in your yard. And so as a shamanic practitioner, can you well can you even remember what what changed or evolved or happened once you created the shaman tree and began to work with it? To me, it's a reminder. It's a You know, our head can be so in charge so much of the time. You know, you come home, you're exhausted from work or whatever you might have been doing. You get out of the car, you sort of struggle into the house. But if you have to pass the tree on the way in, you get reoriented. Oh, yes, I'm grateful I'm home. I'm grateful the day was good. I'm grateful that the rain is falling or the sun is out. It, 
it's like a reset switch. Whenever we have to engage in something that's ritual in that way, that that is a physical manifestation of the, the spirit life that we have, it helps us to reorient ourselves because no matter how involved we are in our shamanic spirituality, there's still the stuff of life. And to have that signpost along the way to go, hello, step back into the big picture again, recognize that everything is is good in this moment. You're connected to all that is. You're breathing. You're able to use your senses. You can see and hear and move. And whatever it is you happen to be grateful for, it resets me. It's an opportunity to reset on the way out so that I take a minute to do my prayers in the car before I start it. Because I always want to pray about a good journey physically in the world. Make sure that I'm going to do my work in a good way. I dedicate myself again when I get in the car. And so passing that tree is a kind of reminder to who I desire to be as much of the day as I can. Mm-hmm. And so just for listeners, so, visu- so you visualize a tree that's, that's wrapped in a sense, in this braided, colorful fabric. And then there's more smaller braided, colorful fabrics and ribbons hanging off that and sometimes off the branches. So so this tree is like dressed for a party all the time. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, so, 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 you, so you can visualize that. But it seems to me, though, well, so for example, I didn't go for the whole shaman tree in the in the party costume um in new york but there was a particular tree that i always um left offerings at daily when i would travel to new york to practice not when i was living in new york but when i was traveling there to practice to be able to ground my my sort of transient life there while i was working and what i noticed is other people started using it yes you know, yeah. like you were saying that the, they're, you know, they're out there in public and they become this conduit and other people get drawn to it. Other people left offerings at it. And, um, you know, so had I been, you know, bold enough to actually wrap the tree and establish the whole thing, it would have been, I think that would have happened even more so. I think you're correct. I think you're absolutely correct because people long for connection. They, they often don't have the slightest clue how to engage in it. But when given even the smallest opportunity, many people leap into it because it's such a longing for us. I mean, we're we're social primates, you know. We are designed for connection. And so any And it just seems to me the thing about the shaman tree also is that every individual practitioner doesn't necessarily need their own. It could also be all of us who live in this apartment building are going to together establish this tree over here in the park as our shaman tree. Absolutely. Uh, We've had people in uh, churches do that so that their entire church community can have a tree outside for the prayers that they want to make outside of God box, never mind inside God box, but they can make it outside. The kids especially adore it. They mm-hmm. make sure that they have their little ribbons and they say what they're grateful for out loud because kids aren't inhibited about doing that because it's important to voice our prayers out loud. And they tie them onto the braid. And there's just this, it is a kind of joyful atmosphere when you're working with something that's colorful. It flutters in the breeze and it's it's that tangibility of it, whether you're making an uh, an offering at one of those little city trees that just has its little square of earth surrounded by sidewalk, or it's all dressed up like a shaman tree, the action of, of leaving your offering and saying, thank you for being there. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for this day going well. Thank you for the love I have in my life, whatever it happens to be. And Saying thank you first is also a very indigenous way of being. Never mind mm-hmm. asking for stuff, but be thankful first. Thank you for all that is good in my life. This is what I'm facing today. Thank you for the support that I know that I have. So let's move on. There's a couple things in your book, tools in your book, which involve metal. And I always think the metal things are very interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> And loud, often. <laughs> um, 
So let's talk first just a, a little bit about bells. Mm-hmm. And so what's your sense of the, the fundamental purpose, I guess, of a shaman bell? A shaman bell in many ways functions like a rattle or a drum. It, it accompanies us creating sound to help us to journey, but also sound to make a kind of audible prayer in the world while we work. My, when I um, studied with Grandfather Misha years and years ago, he was an Ulchi shaman from southeastern Siberia near the Chinese border. And his costume had this 40-pound bustle on the back that was iron cones and iron rods and great big uh, Chinese shaman mirrors. And uh, he would shake it when he danced. And so it's another way to put out a sound prayer into the, into the ethers. And it's, it works two ways. Whenever we do something audible in the world, I feel like we not only are giving that gift to the world of spirit, we're reminding ourselves, you know, it's not an ordinary sound. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we need that back and forth kind of connection in our practice. We need to make sounds. We need to use our voice, ring bells in this case, or have bells on our costume so that we are engaged in creating a kind of atmosphere, an atmosphere of connection. We are moving our body. We're, we're aware that what we move, it creates a sound. How we move creates a sound. And that the vibration of the bell sound going out into the world is one more way that we're aware of our connection. You know, we can hear that sound move out. We get a sense of ourselves in that sound because it's, it, in some ways, sound is invisible. Even though we can hear it, if we're lucky enough to have hearing, we can hear it. It goes out in a, in a way that's intangible to our eyes, and we're very much a visual species. And it reminds us that every place that sound is going is there, is there are living beings. There may be humans in the room, but there are plants, there are animals, there are birds, there are the, the spirits of the ancestors. All of that is right there. And so sound, I think, is so key to us recalling our connection. And there's something, uh, depending on the kind of bell, you know, thinking of like sleigh bells, you listen to sleigh bells and they're quite loud, but there's something also for me, at least, uplifting. I feel my heart lift up. If I'm listening to a particularly long uh, ring, you know, some of the Tibetan bell metal, it just rings forever. And so I get the sense of that wave going out further and further and further away from me. And I, it makes me wonder, what does that wave crash on? And if you think of sound waves, like ocean waves, they're moving out and they're and they're splashing onto all those beings along the way. And as they do that, they send back a kind of ripple to me. So there's, again, this give and take that happens with sound that continually reminds me of that connection. Is there anything in particular, I mean, when you think about the sort of the state of contemporary practitioners here, say, in North America. Is there something in particular you think the bell would bring in to, the, to our practice? I mean, they have these traditional roles, but is there, is there something in particular you think they would bring to contemporary American practitioners, let's say, that they, that they really need you know, a particular I, sort of spice or flavor they might bring? Well, the bells can be very sweet, and so they're a way to kind of sweeten the space just before you work. Just as you might use incense or or something else to kind of flowers in the room to kind of sweeten the space for shamanic work, sound can do the same thing. And we are affected by sound. It's a way to sort of tune us as well as sweetening the environment around us. So it's, it, it brings us to attention. It, tunes us to the work and it also sweetens the space around us for our spirit work. It's a way, a great way to open and close a, a period of time when you're working with spirit using a bell as you would also maybe smudge or use incense to open the space 
and then using that sound to close the space again so that you can have this kind of bracket that in between the sound of those bells, I am as immersed as I possibly can be with my invisible companions. So let's talk now about the um, shamanic mirrors. And and would you just begin by just describing for people, first off, kind of what they look like, but then second off, um, what it is that they're traditionally used for? Many tribal people in Asia, and that goes all the way down into the Indian subcontinent, have mirrors of one sort or another sewn to their costumes. And so they're used to reflect away anything that is unbeneficial. Uh, it always reminds me of, uh, those of you who remember the Broadway show, um, uh, Man of La Mancha, the story of Don Quixote. And at one point, they're trying to shake this character out of his delusion of being Don Quixote and they bring in a character called the Knight of the Mirrors to reflect reality for him and I think of those mirrors kind of scaring the um, unbeneficial energies in the world they see themselves in the mirror and so they scamper off they reflect away like armor that which is unbeneficial if they're dedicated to do that of course and sometimes they're one enormous mirror, maybe six to eight to even ten inches across. Sometimes they're sewn in, um, m- many of them are sewn onto a costume uh, around the front and the back. Typically, the, if there's a single, it's around the heart in the front of the shaman and also in the back. They're, uh, they can be used for divination as well, just like someone would use a scrying mirror in uh in the Tibetan shamanic tradition, the Lapa would use a mirror to, as a kind of doorway for the spirits that they work with to come through. It's like they create a hall for the spirits to live in, in the mirror. And in Nepal, they use a smaller version that they wear on a neck chain to do the same thing, reflect away that which is negative and unbeneficial. And oftentimes the mirror has a back. The back may be inscribed or incised in some way. There's a, an elaborate one in Nepal that's called a, a uh, lakarchuni, which means it has a smooth mirror on one side. And on the back it has all the characters of the, uh, uh, the, the zodiac. And all of them, it's kind of like wearing your power animals on the back on the back of the mirror. So the power animals are close to the heart and the mirror faces outward so it keeps away anything negative. Again, with all tools, it depends on whether or not they're empowered. So it's not just a matter of picking up a mirror and you sling it around your neck and you're all set. Everything that we work with as shamanic practitioners needs to be dedicated to that work. We need to uh, empower that with our spirits and then to treat it as though it's a living thing. It has a spirit in it. It needs to be cared for. And so the mirrors are living. Um, they're like attendants in some way. They're, you think of the, those uh, Hollywood movies where someone is fanning the prince or princess with this great fan. You can think of the mirror kind of fanning away that which would interfere with the shamanic work. And it's, so it's a, a kind of attendant. It's a protector along with the spirits that we work with. So could you describe, let's just use the mirrors for an example. Could you describe uh, dedication and empowering? Because often when you start, when, when we as teachers start talking about, well, you need to do this, you need to do that, people just check out because they're sure it's so unbelievably hard they can't possibly do it. So <laughs> would you yep. mind just kind of describing what, what a dedication and empowerment is, is like so people can see that it's doable? So with something like a mirror that I might have purchased or I may have made, the first thing I do is clean it up in ordinary reality. So I might give it a little bath of soap and water. So it's just, I think of that as like you're cleaning up the the child in the morning to go off to school. So you clean the object first. Then we, because we journey, we have the master key to all possibilities. We simply journey to our primary teacher, our primary power animal, 
and ask them to please empower, put some of their power, their energy into that object. And once it is uh, done, that object is now alive. So we take something that is uh, a piece of metal that we may have drawn on ourselves or we may have purchased on the internet and we've cleansed it with the intent to clean it not just in physical reality, but in ordinary reality. Intention is so powerful in our shamanic work that we journey with that object and ask the spirits who love us to donate some of their power into that object so it becomes living. And then we can journey again to find out how best to use this in our practice. When do you use it? How do you use it? Those are all the things we learn by asking and then by following through. But, you know, I, I always struggle with people. They'll come sometimes, and these are students, sometimes longtime students, will come with some trouble that they have. And the first thing I ask, what did you get when you journeyed on it, when you asked the spirits that you work with? And they went, oh, I didn't think to journey. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the ma- that is really like having the master key to the school, you know. Mm. Any door can be opened. And with the companions that we have nurtured, our power animals, our teachers, we can safely go through all those doors that we open. So it's, you know, I always say, if you're not sure how to do it, go and ask. Mm-hmm. Go and ask. Well, and it's, it's an unfortunate... I mean, I mean, okay, so I think it's ultimately a good thing that people's awareness of shamanism is expanding beyond just journeying. On the other hand, there, there are people, I got asked in my basic journey class just a couple weeks ago when I said, okay, so now your relationship with your helping spirits is really defining this as shamanic journeying. And someone raised their hand and said, why is that? You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, but, it, but it is, this question, when people can get to the sacred plant so easily now in any city, in the, at least the coasts of the United States, and not need to actually cultivate any relationship with spirit and believe that they're doing authentic shamanic ritual, and the more they do it, the more they think, you know, I'm being a shaman, and they're missing this most fundamental aspect of shamanic healing, whether you develop it through journeying or an embodiment trance state, it's all about the relationship with spirit. Uh-huh. And um, so it is interesting how not only do people forget to go journey and ask themselves, their own helping spirits, they want the teacher to tell them, <laughs> you know, instead of forgetting yeah. the helping spirits are the teachers. Oh. Um, but also just unfortunately, even even as our awareness of shamanic trance states is expanding, there's also um, a forgetting uh, a missing the point around the relationship, as you said in the beginning of the show, from a shamanic perspective, the power we have to do these things that we associate with doing with shamans comes through the spirits mm-hmm. and period that's 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 the definition <laughs> so, yeah so but I think, amen sister <laughs> yeah. And so, but I, something, as I was listening to you talking about the dedicating and empowering, though, it did, it did spark a thought that I hadn't really had in reading your book, um, because your book is so well-written and so thorough, and it, and it puts everybody in this realm of um, being very safe in this work. But I thought, oh, right, we can order anything off the internet, and we could actually, given the money, pay for some authentic tools tools that have been used in the past potentially yep and and tools that have been perhaps dedicated to a particular kind of work we have no intention to do absolutely or dedicated empowered by a particular spirit we don't even actually have the capacity yet to work with ourselves absolutely and this is why we should check in with the spirits who know us they love us and they can guide us to the right thing, even checking before you click on the buy now button. <laughs> you know, you're buying this, buying this object because I know if I have this object, I will be powerful. Wrong. You are a, a powerful being simply because of who you are. And you need to 
do the work to undo the messages that told you otherwise. That working with the spirits who care about you, whether it be a power animal, a teacher, the spirits of nature, you unwind some of that misperception about how powerful you are. Because, you know, if you all you had was a an oatmeal container to tap on as a drum, you could be doing powerful shamanic work. You know, using your Advil bottle as your rattle. You, you don't need the biggest and best and special objects to be a powerful shamanic practitioner. Indeed, I can't tell you how many times you see a tribal shaman with a drum that's split or has started to potato chip, you know, that wonderful mm-hmm. warping that it happens. Or they're costume is somewhat threadbare that doesn't matter the the stuff is what augments your practice it helps to remind you of the fact that you're in relationship it may aid you in achieving trance but it's not what makes you powerful what makes you powerful is your relationship with the spirits and you being willing to clear away anything that interferes with you being able to be in that deep relationship. Any perceptions you have about yourself, perceptions that you have about the world that are unbeneficial to you, get support to have that unwound. So of everything that's in your book, what is there a particular tool you think would really benefit contemporary practitioners that they tend not to have or use? I am actually very fond of the Purba. It's uh, lovely, lovely. That's a great one to talk about. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a, a dagger-shaped object. For people who are Tibetan Buddhist, you may recognize that it looks like a, a kind of spiritual dagger. It has a three-edged uh, blade, and it has a kind of middle and a, and a pommel on the top, and it represents. Um, the world tree, you know, when a Himalayan shaman puts the point in a bowl of rice so it's upright or stabs it into the ground so it's upright, it represents the center of the universe. It may only be six to eight inches long. It may be an enormous one. But it represents in that moment that the shamanic practitioner is working at the center of all that is, which according to theoretical physics there is no one center of the universe. So when we dedicate an altar, we are creating the center of the universe. We're operating from the center of the universe in that way. The purba can also be used to uh, infuse a healing drink. It can be used to dispel negative energy in a place or a person. So it's one of those tools that has... uh, become almost kind of a universal tool in the uh, in southeast in southern asia i want to say uh so the himalayas and the asian subcontinent particularly it's a uh it's you would think of it as a kind of a male object it's often paired with some kind of female vessel so you have that sense of the union of masculine and feminine and it becomes a lot like a wand in that it becomes an extension of the shaman or shamanic practitioner's energy. So it's, it can direct and point where the energy needs to go. So it, it's a multifaceted kind of object. It also carries iconography on it of the three realms. It has an upper world, usually has some figure at the top, which reminds us of the upper world of spirit, the middle of the handle, uh, often has a uh, Vajra or Dorje in the center. So it has that sense of the kind of interconnection of the middle world, thinking of, of the trunk of the world tree. And the blade is often decorated with serpents and water spirits to represent the lower world. So you have this sense of in working with this object, you're getting this constant feedback loop of connection, of power coming in, power going out. And again, it's kind of used as an all-purpose tool for all different methods, you know, whether it be, uh, again, uh, used in extraction, the blade is drawn across the person and then staked into the ground. So you're taking all that unbeneficial energy and feeding it to, to the earth. 
one one person's intrusions is simply fertilizer to the earth and uh you can also use it to bring in higher energies to help fill a person so there's just this again multi-leveled use of what is a single tool so when i go to our health center I have a little bag that has a rattle, it has my blindfold, it has my perba, it has some perfume that I can use to sweeten the air, and that's about it, my mala, and that's all you need. You, you don't need a whole lot of stuff. What you need is a relationship with some stuff that helps you accomplish your work better. <laughs> <laughs> and if you all went out to buy shamanic tools, you could learn how to make that stuff yourself in a Indeed. beautiful way. Yep. So, Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you that want to find out more, um, Evelyn's author site is www.evelyn.com. R-Y-S-D-Y-K dot com. And the, her shamanic site with Allie is spiritpassages.com. Um, so as I said, thank you again for joining us today. I give thanks to the ancestors who've gathered around us in their many forms, to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Have a good week, everyone. <laughs>